Have you ever felt like you're not quite on the same page with your spouse? He's speaking one language, you're speaking another language, and you're not really sure what to do. How about if you have a nonverbal child? Do you know how to speak love to them when they can't tell you what they feel loved most by in their heart? If you've wondered any of these secrets, if you've wanted secrets to solve these problems, tune in because this week we have a very special guest, Jolene Philo. She's the author of Sharing Love Abundantly with Special Needs Families, The Five Love Languages for Parents Raising Children with Disabilities. And even if you do not have a child with disabilities, the information in this episode will change your life. I highly recommend that you take notes, pull out your coffee, your tea, your notepad, your pen, and get ready for a really great interview with a lovely woman. Is your family a success? Is there even a measure for family success? We think there is, and with a 20-year track record of success, we're going to show you how to bless your family with success in your health, relationships, and finances. I'm Steve Keene. And I'm Katie Keene. And along with some awesome guests, we are going to give you our secrets to family success. Welcome to Family Success Secrets. Welcome, everybody. I am just so excited today to introduce you to Jolene Philo. She is a teacher who has created an inclusive classroom for children with disabilities for 25 years. She has books for the special needs family and the disability community, including a book called Does My Child Have PTSD? And one that Steve and I personally really love, we have read and cherished called Sharing Love Abundantly with Special Needs Families, the five love languages for parents raising children with disabilities. I highly recommend it if you guys have not read it. She also has helped many parents deal with so many different interests, whether or not their children have had disabilities, because the love languages apply in so many aspects of, of life in general. She hosts a blog, uh, which is at the um, differentdream.com. And she is an author, which is really exciting. Um, she has some books out, See Jane Run and See Jane Sing, which are the first two mysteries in her family-friendly series that have characters with disabilities. Oh, they're coming out June and September of 2022. So Jolene, thank you so much for being here. Let me make sure, did I say your last name correctly? Yes, you did. Philo. Okay. That's what I thought. So you touched our lives very, very deeply with this book, and it blessed me greatly because of our family experiences with having children with various needs. And so I'd love to know more about your story and what brought you to write a book that is so impactful to those of us on this journey. Sure. Well, it's kind of a long story. It actually began when I was two years old, when my father was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. He was 29. And that was back in 1959, and you don't have to do the math on that. But anyway, I was raised then in a caregiving family. My brother, sister, and myself, along with our mom, cared for dad in our home for um, about not quite 20 years. And then dad was in a nursing home for another 14 years, uh, and he died in 1997. And then in 1982, our first child was born, and he was born with a life-threatening condition that required 
years of surgeries and special procedures and all sorts of things. And that was a long time ago. There was no internet. There was, you know, there were libraries, but when we were in the hospital with him, we couldn't get to those. And I just couldn't find any books or anything dealing with the disability and special needs community. Well, my husband and I were raising kids during those years. And finally, in about 2003, I had an opportunity to go to a writing workshop. And I had been writing down stories for my children about my dad, what he was like when I was growing up, because they knew him as someone in a nursing home who couldn't communicate. People kept reading those stories and saying to me, you should be trying to get those published. <laughs> I was like, yeah, right. Because everybody wants to read about an unknown person, person by an unknown author. That's going to sell a lot of books. So I went to this writing conference to get them to tell me, just keep writing those for your kids. And, you know, that's enough. Put them away in a drawer. Well, the, at the end of the writing workshop, which was week long, I got to meet with a well-known editor and she told me, you should be trying to get those published. You're a good writer. She gave me ideas. I went home the next year. My husband worked crazy hours. I had two kids, one in high school, one in elementary. And I just didn't have time to do anything. And I went back the next year and they were like, why aren't you doing something? So when I got on the plane to come home after that workshop, I prayed, um, God, if you want me to be a writer, I need a different job. And within, and I had been teaching for 25 years. And within about the first month of school, it was obvious it was going to be my last year. The church we went to offered me a part-time job. Prayer was answered. So I was able to kind of jump into that world. But it took a number of years learning about writing and speaking before I realized that my dual position in caregiving as a child and as an adult really gave me a unique perspective. And those were the articles and the stories that would get picked up. And eventually then I wrote my first book and it came out in 2008. And it's a devotional for parents raising kids with uh, disabilities and special needs. And then a couple of the other books that you mentioned have come out since then. Let's fast forward now to um, 2017, when a friend of mine who writes for my blog uh, emailed me and said, Jolene, when are you going to write the love languages version of the, the, the disability version of the love languages book? <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, that's a great idea. I don't know how to do that. I emailed my agent. She was like, oh, that's a great idea. And someone else in their agency had co-authored a book with uh, Gary Chapman before. So my, my agent knew who to get a hold of. So as I like to tell people, my people, which is one, talk to his people, which are many. And then about a year later, we signed a contract and I started working on it. Dr. Chapman said, I've wanted to, to write this book for a long time, but I don't have experience with disability. And I was waiting for someone who did to come along. So that's how that book came into being. And it was just fun to write. Mm -hmm. I'm sure with the way that it has touched our family, touched many families. Yes. And I also um, made sure and interviewed many families who, and I just put out a call on my blog saying, if you figured out ways to use the love languages with your kids with disabilities and special needs, I'd love to interview you. And I had a lot of people respond to that. Because when we were raising our kids, the love languages were a pretty new concept. And the 
books for kids weren't even out yet about using them with kids. So um, all the ideas that means in the book are field tested by parents in similar situations to the audience it's written for. Oh, so I'm curious, how long did it take you to uh, to do all of that research to, um, to collect it all and validate it? Yeah, I, I think I did most of the interviews over a two month period in the beginning of 2019. And then once I had those, all, all those ideas and I had a bunch of questions that I wanted to have answered and kind of had an outline for the book, um, then I was able to compile it and I knew what I wanted to ask people based on what the chapters would be. And they just had so many amazing ideas. And then of course it involved working with Dr. Chapman and saying, okay, you know, this that you wrote in this book, could you do something similar to that for this chapter and, and get that to me? Uh, and so, you know, really, it, it wasn't that hard. I, nonfiction writing is kind of like putting a jigsaw puzzle together. You gather all the pieces and you kind of have an idea of what it's going to look like at the end. And then you just have to fit all the different stories and the different pieces into place um, and, and then make it interesting. So... It, it really wasn't that hard to write. Of course, then it goes to the publisher and then you work with an editor and then, you know, there's all sorts of revisions and things. But that's the fun part. Writing the, the first draft is the hard part. I got you. So I know in our home, we've used the love languages since, gosh, since we were married and then began to use them with our children. And for us, it's worked really well. I feel like, I guess we've probably kind of called it a shortcut <laughs> in parenting in a way, because you can more effectively in a quicker amount of time, really reach your child's heart and your spouse. If you understand, you know, what love language they're speaking and what you're speaking and why maybe you're miscommunicating and kind of feel like you're speaking different languages sometimes and then correct that. So I'd love for you to share, if you are willing, how families with kids who are nonverbal, because this is something we've actually had to do in our yes. family as well, can use the love languages. That seems to mystify many people. We had, it took us a while to learn how to. Yes, yes. And the key to that, I think, was in some of the writing that Dr. Chapman had done previously. Um, of course, and I'm going to work backwards. If you have a teenager who is de uh, developing, following the normal developmental path, you can use one of the the, the test for teenagers, which it's, there's a copy of it in the back or in, in the back of the first chapter of the book I wrote with Dr. Chapman. Um, so you could use that. And then if you have a little bit younger child between the ages of say eight and 11, there is another quiz in the book that's called, I think the mystery game. And it again, you just kind of do it more with your child and it's some questions. Would you rather do this or this? And then based on their answers, you can figure out their love language. Now, when you get to kids that are a little younger than that, between say five and eight, probably the easiest way to figure out their love language is to simply do observation. So for about a week, you would start with maybe words of affirmation and use that love language with the child consistently for a week. and keep a little journal of how they respond, then do it with quality time, then with uh, receiving and giving gifts, physical touch and the others until you've done them all. And you're gonna find probably one that your child responds to the best. 
that they want to keep doing more and more, that when you uh, communicate with them using that language, they're more open to what you're saying, they get more excited, they just light up. You've probably found their primary love language. Now, if you can't do that, there's a couple things to remember. First of all, if your child is developmentally between birth and age four at a developmental level, whether or not they're verbal or nonverbal, you should just use all the love languages with them because that's what we do with kids who are chronologically between the ages of zero and four and developing normally or, you know, following the traditional path because at those ages, kids need them all. They need physical touch. We know that they need quality time. We're constantly doing acts of service. They need our words of affirmation. And then all of those things, when kids get those consistently, we're giving them a gift that helps them develop and grow emotionally and spiritually. So if you've got a child between those ages, don't, whether it's developmental or their chronological age, don't bother trying to figure out their love language. Just make sure you're using all of them. Now, if your child is developmentally then between the ages of uh, five and eight, then you're going to maybe ask them those questions or use the observation. And that's, it could be a 20 year old, but if their developmental age is between five and eight, just use that method with them. And if they're in that nine to 11 or eight to 11 area, then do the mystery game. And if their developmental level is more of a teenager or beyond, use that method. You might need to read the questions to them if they, if they have trouble reading or if they have trouble communicating, but just use them. And if your child is nonverbal, um, just do the, uh, do, do the one where you're observing and you will find one that makes them light up. And if you're still wondering after you have, have observed how they respond to the love language you're using that week, ask yourself these three questions. What calms my child? When I use this language, they get calmer than with any others. What motivates my child? If I, if I communicate using that, they're more willing to do what I want them or what they need to do or they, because they feel more loved. So they're going to be more willing to follow along and things maybe they don't enjoy quite as much. And then what mo or where does my child choose to spend his or her time? So if they're a physical touch kid, they're going to want to do all of these activities that are kinesthetic, you know, with like weighted blankets and, and sensory toys and they, all that kind of thing. If they're um, a words of affirmation kid, they may want to go over and, and look at all of these notes that you've written them in the past about um, how well they've done something. If they're quality time, they're going to want to do things with you. And that's what really where they want to spend their time and so forth. So it's mainly a, a matter of good observation and just paying attention to your kids, which is really how we learn about them in many other ways, not just their love languages. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The first time I remember having a real opportunity to actually slow down enough to implement this with our older two kids was when we were expecting our third. And I was put on couch rest. It wasn't quite bed rest, but I had to hold still. And I was only allowed up for a half hour at a time, you know, in making sure I didn't have any problems. And so I, I had to really 
connect, at least I was afforded the opportunity and I took it, to really connect with our kids who were in preschool and kindergarten at the time. Mm -hmm. And it was such a, I look back now, as hard as it was to be stuck on the couch, it was such a time of richness and depth of connection with these kiddos that has actually carried us into the rest of our family life because we were able, you know, and he and I would always talk about what I learned and wow, you know, look at what we now understand about our two older kids. And it was a beautiful treasure. So, you know, for any parent who can slow down and really just focus on that, even if you're not stuck on the couch and I hope you're not, um, it's such a gift to be able to understand these things about your kids and to have that direct line to their heart. Exactly. And the thing about the love languages is we, as use, when we use their love language, it just aids communication. So it makes the communication of our love specifically to our children much more effective. And when our children feel loved, they feel secure. And when they feel secure, they're able to, to uh, try things that maybe are a little uncomfortable or risky to them in the way, in, meaning that, you know, it's something they haven't done before. It's new to them. And they're, they're willing to explore their world and improve their relationship with you and grow your rela the relationship with their parents. Mm -hmm, definitely. So we know many kids are, have been through trauma, whether it's because of the different things that have happened in the last couple of years, living through a pandemic or just family situations maybe even medical situations. So what would you recommend? How can someone utilize the five love languages in that scenario? Again, I think kids who have experienced trauma don't feel safe. That's at the very base, the very foundation of, of uh, their trauma. And it may or may not become post-traumatic stress disorder, but they've got this event in their past that was very scary or traumatic or uh, they couldn't understand it or whatever. And it's like they were alone in that and the bottom fell out of their world. So they are operating then from a lack of security. So the main thing that we can do is increase their sense of security. You, uh, another thing we can do is get those kids into some kind of mental health care therapy at some point so they can process that trauma. But we as parents can just quite simply try to surround them with safety and security again. And the love language, excuse me, the love languages allow us to do that. Because again, they're going to hear your love more clearly and be able to take that in and realize they aren't alone, that they are safe, that they are secure. So it's just it's just a, it's like a tool that ratchets up their understanding and ability to perceive and experience love. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When their, when their love tank is full and we've always looked at that, like a bank account, you yes. know, when that's nice and full, they just have more reserve and more ability to, to handle things that are hard or yes. that would be a, a withdrawal <laughs> from that love tank. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Our siblings able to utilize this as a, I mean, if you said, hey, kid, I've got this great communication enhancement tool for you. It's called the five love languages. You should try it out on your brother or your sister. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's, their head, a couple, but. yeah there's a couple of things about siblings and there is a chapter in the book about that. Um, and there's some things to remember. First of all, as we know, caring for kids with disabilities and special needs, 
their, their needs are often uh, more urgent and require more of our time. And so it's very easy for us to kind of focus most of our attention on those kids. And the typical siblings are kind of left to their own devices, whether we mean to or not. And, and sometimes that's just the way it is. The child with disability is gonna take more time. That means that the time we have with the typical siblings, we need to make the most of it. And we need to be very intentional about the time we spend with them and make sure that what we're doing is effective and that they know very clearly that they are loved. And that's where the love languages can help. And so we can't just focus on figuring out the love languages of our kids with disabilities. We need to do the same for the typical siblings it's usually a little easier because you know they're developmentally more where the different quizzes are gauged. And so you can use those without having to make accommodations. And then the other, and so then we have to figure out, you know, what's that child's love language and make intentional time to spend with them speaking their love languages. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the, the first thing that we have to make sure and do. Then the second thing is we need to teach them because we tend to assume that kids, you know, absorb things just by osmosis or, you know, just by being, but they, they don't. We have to teach them skills. So we have to teach them what their love language is. And we have to also teach them how to speak the other love languages so they can speak them. And we need to do that for our kids with disabilities and special needs if they're able to do that too so that they can learn how to speak effectively into someone else's life. Then we need to teach our, the typical siblings how to modify and use those love languages specifically with the child who has a disability and special need. You know, so what's that look like for the brother who has autism? Or what does that look like for the sister who has Down syndrome or is maybe dealing with some severe trauma issues or whatever it is? So how can you do that. And the best way to do that, first of all, is by example. Be a good example of speaking the love languages to the children in our home so the other kids pick up on that. But then we have to go a step further and intentionally explain what it is we're doing and teach directly. Now, I'm doing this because, you know, as we know, uh, Sam has a hard time with, um, he's, uh, no, I'm going to, I'm not getting the word right, but he is, uh, he's a sensory seeker. So sensory things don't, he, he doesn't feel things or experience them like he shouldn't. So he's always wanting more. So instead of just patting him on the back, pat him on the back and give him like a good little massage back there. So as one person said, this child doesn't just want a hug. He wants a bear hug. So you have to teach the kids to do that. You know, if that if their sibling is um, has words of affirmation as their primary love language, and yet they're nonverbal, we need to find ways then to speak that to to teach the siblings to speak that language to them, and then to recognize how the nonverbal sibling is speaking that back to them. So maybe in maybe they grab a hand and, and uh, want to sit next to somebody on the couch, we think, well, that means physical touch must be their language. But if it's a nonverbal person that, you know, 
our behaviors speak louder than our words. They are our voice when we can't speak. And so you can recognize, okay, I need to do that. And now I need to say back to him, I love you too, because he's going to want to hear the words of affirmation. So we just have to be very intentional and direct in teaching siblings how to speak love languages to one another. Mm, absolutely. I think too, with the nonverbal kids, just exactly like you said, they are speaking. Mm-hmm. It's just that we have to learn that second language mm-hmm. and as their expert, you know, that's kind of our job. I mean, it's really our job as their parent to be their interpreter. And, um, mm-hmm. and maybe, maybe it also might be if that nonverbal child has a communication device, make sure the sibling knows how to use that, operate that communication device with their nonverbal siblings so that they do hear that, or maybe they can drop pictures or whatever. There's lots of ways that we speak that aren't just words. So those nonverbal kids can speak too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in marriage, in a special needs home and in any home, there can become tension, miscommunication. Yeah. You hear it all the time. You know, he just doesn't understand me or all she does is complain at me or, you know, all those things. And so for us, this has been very important in our marriage. Um, when you speak to couples about this, what would you say is the first thing they should do? Well, I think the first thing they need to do is recognize that they're dealing with some unusual circumstances and they need to recognize the things with as caregiving parents that can kind of eat away at that emotional glue of a marriage. So the things that really threaten that are things like the financial concerns, sometimes geographic separation while one parent is off with the child seeking treatment and the other parent is back home running the house with the other kids. There's time issues. There's a lot of grief and grieving that parents are dealing with and guilt about their child with disabilities and did we do enough or this isn't what I expected parenting would be like. There's that added sense of isolation and there's others, there's worry about the future and some things that probably are a little different in terms of our children with disabilities than for other children. And so we have to recognize those are there and we need to just give eat one another grace because of that. And then we need to realize that the love languages are really, again, efficient, easy, flexible, inexpensive way to overcome a lot of those barriers. Because it doesn't take, if you, if you use them right, it doesn't take a lot of money. Uh, you don't have to spend a lot of time. Once you know somebody's love language, all of a sudden you're saving time because you know how to talk to them so that they can understand. So I think that's what parents really need to know. This isn't gonna be something that makes your life harder and isn't just another thing to do. It's a a way and a tool to make the things you already do much easier and more efficient and to be honest, more fun because you're gonna be able to communicate better with your spouse. And as soon as communication improves, your relationship improves and your ability to parent improves. And so, yeah, I, yeah, I really encourage parents to use it and start there. I would say start using them with your partner or spouse before you worry about using them with your kids. Yes. You took the words out of my mouth. <laughs> because I was going to say, you know, as a parent, we need our love tanks filled and yes. the marriage relationship is the foundational relationship of the home. 
And so other than our relationship with God, it's got to be that relationship between the parents. And so when that is filled, when our hearts are filled, we have more to pour out to our children and we can't be expecting to be filled by our children. That's not the right direction. It needs to be coming from our relationship with God and our relationship with our spouse. And so Mm -hmm. this is such a great like marriage hack, everybody. This is a marriage hack. (laughs) It really is. If you like what you've learned so far in this episode, we have another segment for you coming up next week. We are delighted to present to you next week the remainder of the interview with Jolene Philo, where you will learn more about communicating in your marriage with your children, bringing in more love and joy and peace into your home and your life than you thought was possible. We'll talk about how to connect properly with your children's therapists and doctors. And even if you don't have a child with special needs or disabilities, I really hope that you will take in this information and see how it applies to you. And if you know someone whose child has any kind of extra challenges, please bless them by sharing this episode with them and the new episode that's coming out next week. Thanks for listening and spending time with us today. If you know anyone who could benefit from this podcast, we would be honored if you would share it. Please rate, review, subscribe, and download. Head over to podcast.familysuccesssecrets.com to have a top-rated Family Success Secret sent straight to your inbox. We look forward to spending time with you again next week during our next episode. See you then. Bye, everyone.